Okay, here we go. Here we go. Mary's given me Mary's given me this from the back. Give me this. So let's pray. Here we go. Just stand where you are. Almighty and everlasting God, hear the prayers of your church, a church which waits for you, and grant the splendor of your glory that it may shine upon us and illumine our hearts, those hearts of your reborn children. Prepare us by your grace to receive your Holy Spirit as Pentecost is on the horizon through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Good to see you. Okay, this is it for this year. So we got a lot of things to kind of wrap up and try to make, uh, make happen. Although practical things first, you know. Um, if you don't know what day it is, I can hardly, hardly help you. Although I will just read to you from my morning perusing yesterday, titled, This Isn't Ever True, Oh, I Don't Want Anything for Mother's Day. Right? <laughs> Megan Fowler's mom insisted that she didn't want anything for Mother's Day last year. I very clearly remember her telling me that she didn't want anything. I made dinner, but there was no gift. That was unwise. <laughs> By I don't want anything, says her mother a year later, she didn't mean she didn't want anything. She just didn't have anything specific in mind. <laughs> Poor Thomas Romero, age 60, from Santa Fe. His wife said, I don't want anything. So he presented her with nonstick frying pans. <laughs> Kimberly Alexander, raising children in Charlotte, North Carolina, told her husband she didn't want gifts for Mother's Day this year. I just want a solid day, said Ms. Alexander. Nobody crying, nobody complaining. Food that I don't have to cook or prepare. A kitchen that I don't have to clean up. Truly, for my gift, I would like to have bottomless mimosas. <laughs> that is the text, all else is commentary. So I mean, you do with it what you want. I'm, I'm a man and not a god. I can only help you so much, okay? So happy Mother's Day all around. Uh, it's very, very nice. Okay, there's a lot of things to kind of catch you up on. Your organ, uh, your, your organ isn't your organ anymore. It went to Pastor Burkholz's church. There's a ginormous card back there. And then there's a little card from the musicians. And then there's um, a pipe from the old organ. If you want to put your lips on it and blow on it, it does make a nice sound. I suggest that you have a flu shot first because it was <laughs> lying out where all the kids were going by going... So, I mean, it's a, it's a lot of fun. But anyway, they were very grateful, and it turned out to be very nice. So they send you their best. A couple of people came along. Um, Dave Ricker was there and Marianne King. So it was nice. There were a few St. John people. And it was, I mean, it was, they were very, very happy and indebted to you. So thanks for that. On Tuesday and Wednesday, we're hosting all the pastors in the district here. Usually this is at a Hilton Hotel or something. But somebody said, could we do it at a church? So St. John said, yes, we'll do it. So the place will be jammed with pastors, um, plus or minus, that's for you to figure out. However, the good news for you is we will have morning Eucharist each morning, so for you, your lives are normal, 740, we'll be going at 8. But on, on Tuesday, if you want to come, we'd be happy to have you uh, at the Eucharist at 9 a.m. There's Vespers at 415, and there's Compline at 745. On Wednesday morning, there's also Matins, so... 
Welcome. Uh, to, you're, you're welcome to come to all of that. And then a thanks to Pastor Nelson, who's been behind this and just taking care of all of the logistics and everything that needs to go on. So we've got a lot of things going on that we'll take care of it, and you're welcome to come. So thanks, Pastor Nelson. It's a big deal to have 200 people and all these vendors here and that kind of stuff. So Nelson is fabulous. There you go. Uh, Pastor Bukes is fabulous as well. I'm, I'm, I'm allowed to say this now. Um, He's been admitted to the Ph.D. program at the University of Durham in England. So um, Durham is, was last year the, the, the greatest uh, theological university in the world. Dropped a second or third this year, depending on where you... But always um, above Cambridge or Oxford, and sort of those three are always in the mix. So he has a brilliant idea that he is punching around on. He, you know, applied... Um, you know, one week, and two weeks later he was admitted. So that's a very interesting turnaround. Um, he will carry on in place. So this is not, you know, he'll just, for you, nothing changes. He's still your pastor. But when I come in the morning at 7.30, he's already been here for a couple of hours working and reading, and he's quite gifted in language, as, and they're quite excited about his topic. So over the next few years, he'll just need a little extra support, um, as will his family. But this is, you know... This sorts people out. This topic is kind of interesting. He probably should tell you about it, but it's basically the notions of conscience in pastoral care. Okay, So um, it's a big deal thing. Uh, I mean, part of the undertone here is you should hold on to the two young guys. There is not, there's not a month that goes by that somebody doesn't express interest in taking these two guys somewhere else. I'm serious, you know. But, you, but the thing is, is... You know, your response to that is make St. John irresistible, which in, in so many ways it is. This is a glorious place, and it's, it's great to be a pastor here, and people are very kind. But we also can't sort of limit people, right? People have to develop their skills and move on and um, learn more things. But, you know, they also, you can encourage them to kind of stay here, build three booths and stay here forever. That's in the Bible, okay? So um, anyway, it's, offer them your congratulations. It's a great big deal. For you, this would be like admit, being admitted to Harvard or Stanford or Yale. This is a great big deal. Um, so, anyway, it's very, it's very, very nice. That's kind of cool. Uh, a bit of sad news overnight. John Crow's mother passed away at 1 a.m. So John was kind of up all night. We also had a mechanical issue. Um, so he was up most of the night between here and there. Uh, and he'll be kind of in and out. He was also supposed to do continuing ed this week up in Minneapolis. And so um, keep the Crow family in your prayers, but we'll just have to move around and make everything work out. So, um, you know, that's not a, the best thing that can happen on Mother's Day. That's a difficulty always. And even if you know it's coming, it's always a difficult thing to lose a parent. So keep them in your prayers, please. There are a thousand things going on here. Um, you know, kind of just kind of to rehearse for you what's going on. The Garden Club has done a fabulous job outside. So, um, I mean, Carol Tony's has them marching in straight lines and shining their boots and... <laughs> You know, the, the salute to Carol is new this year, uh, but it seems to be working for... Sorry, Sarge, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. Say, so, come on. Come on, you know I love you, Carol. I love you. The proof is in that pudding outside, right? Carol would like to, and we will do this, okay? So Carol, Carol says, you know, we got this nice patio. Why can't we drink coffee and eat donuts out there? Which is like, it's as easy as um, drinking coffee and eating donuts. So... Maybe once a month in the summertime, as soon as summertime comes, we will uh, go out on the patio and admire the flowers that the Garden Club has put in, and we'll get you donuts, and you can hang around out there, okay? 
But there's a lot of things going on. Besides the outside, um, the balcony floor is going in, so that'll be wood and tiled. If you kind of gaze up, you can see some of the wood on one side. There, people are working hard there. The balcony is going to remain closed, as you know, for both safety and security, uh, just to musicians from now on going forward. There's no reason people need to be there. There are plenty of seating on the main floor. And it'll leave, let the musicians allow, allow the musicians to arrange their things and leave them out all the time with some measure. And it's also distracting for musicians if people are up moving around. Um, so that's going to be fabulous. It'll be wood on the bottom and tile on the top. Also, tile is also going in downstairs. So this is one of the things we aimed at with the capital campaign. And the same guy who laid the marble around the font is laying the tile downstairs. It was great to see it, right? <laughs> this guy was fabulous and he's just a nice old gray-haired guy. The story I remember is that he was an orchestra conductor in Eastern Europe. And when he came to America, he couldn't get a job conducting an orchestra. So he lays tile. But he lays tile if you watch him like he's conducting an orchestra. It is gorgeous to watch how, how it works. So, um, they're back, and it's fabulous. They're, they're great, great guys. When that's done in the balcony, the organ builder will return. I understand there's about 20 pipes to put in yet, and then they have to coordinate with the floor guys and get all the trim on and make everything look good. But we're very close to having that all done. So that's very, very nice, too. And then there's next up is some electrical work and some lighting, and that'll come through the summertime. We'll see what happens. And then we'll kind of take a look and see how the money is and, and what projects need to come up next. But there's all sorts of things. We can't really do more because for John to manage more than about three or four sets of workmen in the building all the time, it's too much because they're always asking questions or tripping the breaker or making something you know, go wrong. Also, a couple of folks asked me about the microphones. I don't know why they were different this week. I suspect they were different because to put the floor in, they had to unplug all of them. And when I left on Friday afternoon, um, John Crow and Pastor Bukes were there plugging it all back in. It was best for me to leave at that point, and I don't know what time. <laughs> I mean, it worked, but it may not be what you want, so there you go. All right, um, just questions about any of that, just any of the foregoing. Just questions about any of that, about staff stuff, building stuff. Which leads you then to the voters' information meeting this place next week at 10 o'clock. Uh, be a quick trip through the budget. There shouldn't be an awful lot of questions about where things are going. Uh, there's not staffing changes. You kind of know all the physical plant things that are happening. So um, there you go. That's all good. Anyway, come next week. You should at least, uh, if you have questions, try to ask them all next week. And then we, of course, take the week off for Memorial Day. Then we come back and vote the following week. And then we go out and eat donuts by the flowers. That's what we do, right? So there'll be some, there'll be some morning where you'll come and there'll be 400 donuts here and it'll be fabulous. So stick around and chat. All right. Any questions about any of that kind of stuff? The basket will, uh, if you give money, it'll go to People's Resource Center because there's always people who need stuff around here, especially food and clothing. So that'd be very, very nice. All right. I think that's everything I had to do. Yes, dear. Because after holiday, do you take Tuesday off? Um, technically, but not really. Why? <laughs> if we have the Eucharist? On Tuesday, Presume that we will be here. Yeah, presume that it's, you know, technically we have those things, but it's hard to get ready for Sunday if you take two days off in the week, to be honest with you. So you have to kind of clump them. 
Yeah, I think we'll all be here. There's so much stuff that's going on right now. May, I've said this to some of you, May is a busier month for pastors than Christmas or Easter. May is the worst month. It's crazy. Because, I mean, you know, it starts with T-ball uh, and, and shoots all the way up to confirmation and graduation and everybody, it's just, it's just, it's crazy. May is just nuts. So it's good when, when May is over because everything from, you know, championships and, teen, and high school and trips and people are wacky and it's, I don't know, it's all, it's all good. All right, anything else? In some ways, I feel like, this is just to kind of finish up the year, in some ways I feel like we do the same thing each year. In other ways, we should do the same thing each year. Um, I'm going to have all these pastors here on Tuesday and Wednesday. And the besetting sin of pastors is that they go through life angry and afraid. Now, there's a fair, there's a fair, you know, there's a, for many, often that's a justified response, although it's never helpful. And in some cases, it's not justified. And one of the things that I find so interesting, even as I talk to pastors, but then it trickles down into people, is that anger um, very easily goes to self-righteousness, and self-righteousness is about as off-putting as something can be. And so there has been, almost the entire time that I was growing up, um, there was this notion that you would sort of talk people into or argue people into or give people reasons for or make them decide for if you were as smart as I would, I was, you would believe too, and then everything, and what's wrong with you? Hey, guess what? The world has changed, and now we're on the other side of the coin. Fifty years ago, people couldn't understand why you're not Christian. Now people can't figure out why you are Christian. So in some ways, we deserved it because we went through life sort of angry and afraid. And even though we know what we were meant to do, we often didn't do it. And what we're meant to do primarily is to love people the way Christ loved people, right? Right to death and then into resurrection. So the world has changed, and part of the, part of the issue for us is to adjust and not be angry and not be afraid. We don't need to be angry because at the end of the day, the Lord sorts us out. And besides that, the person that you're talking to, you got nothing on them. Right? It's one thing if God wants to be angry or even Jesus wants to be angry because they're holy and you know, they're sort of at another level. But basically you and I and everybody outside, we're all the same. And we're all the same. We got nothing on anybody else. And so what you do have is something that's come from outside and been given to you as a gift, which is the ability to love people in spite of themselves. Way back to Luther and the Heidelberg Disputation, God looks around the room, and he loves people, and he makes them lovable. He doesn't look for people who have cleaned up their act already. He loves them in spite of themselves, way back to Luther. Even this morning, I get pop-ups from different things, and there was a little pop-up from a famous, uh, he was a professor at USC of philosophy, Dallas Willard, who was very interested in the spiritual virtues, and he said, Titus 1.3, it says that you could contend for the faith. He said, this has been horribly misunderstood over the last decades as people trying to argue about people. He said, what the word means in that context, to contend for the faith, is basically to act like a Christian and let people join along. The point, of course, is that you contend much more by what you do than by what you say. And we act as if the things that we face are sharper elbows uh, and bigger challenges than people who have gone before us. Yeah, maybe, but none of you people have been thrown to the lions lately, or none of our people have been thrown to the lions lately, right? 
So there have been times when it's been much more difficult. And in some ways, I fall back on my response to you, which is why we don't study the book of Revelation much, because we already know the answer. Look, you can know everything you want in the book of Revelation. When Jesus returns, your response is the same. Lift up your heads, you mighty gates. You look up and you welcome him with open arms. And if you knew Jesus is coming back at 5 o'clock today, it should make no difference in your life. You should still go home and celebrate Mother's Day at noon and again at 4. <laughs> then if Jesus comes at 5, everything is going to be A-OK. You don't want the last words to be from your mother saying, I didn't really mean that I didn't want anything. Yeah, you, don't want that, you don't want the last earthly words you hear to be that. That would not be good, right? So the whole point for you is to live in love. And I, what, what I've tried to do this year is to show you that each person that Jesus bumps into, they're all different. You know, you've got a woman who's run out of the village. You've got a woman who's a Samaritan and doesn't really believe. She's kind of like your new age alternative to, you know, what you're... You've got, you got, you got a smart alecky academic type who studies all day long. You've got a businessman who wants to get it right and has so much money that when Jesus dies, he can give him the burial of a king. And he spends the whole gospel trying to figure out what's going on. And we met all the people in between. The point of that, of course, was is that all the people that you meet on the street are already in the scriptures. So the way that you should engage these people is already in the scriptures. And the way that you're meant to engage them is to love them and not to condemn them, right? You're meant to help them, not hurt them. You're not meant to destroy them. Even in the worst case, Jesus says, vengeance is mine, right? I will repay, says the Lord. For you, you're always on the gospel side of things. And you see this week after week after week after week. And if people want to know why the church fails, it's because the church is oftentimes angry and afraid. It fails for other reasons, too, because it's miserly. It fails because it gives up on word and sacrament and becomes kind of a big self-help organization. There are a range of reasons that it fails. But one of the primary reasons it fails is it does not act in love. It acts instead in anger. This is not to mean you don't have standards. It doesn't mean that you don't cling to truth. It does mean that what Jesus comes to bring is a happy occurrence, right? It's Easter. It is the seventh Sunday of Easter. It is the seventh Sunday since the resurrection. What this means is that the world has been set right. As Pastor Nelson observed this week, in Luke's gospel, after Easter, there's no more time. It's just one long day till we all go home. It's one long Easter day. It's one way to think about the world, right? So as you go through, you're meant to live as Jesus lives. And, you know, it's probably easy for you to do that. It's easy for me to do that with the friends or compadres, people, you know, that I'm very close to. It's easy. It gets more difficult with... Um, people who perhaps irritate you or aren't interested in what you have to say. And it gets really difficult with people who are challenging you and right at you all the time. It's, it's a little bit of so what. Okay? I mean, it's a, little, it's a little bit of so what. I want to encourage you, kind of as we end up here, that what you go out doing is to protect Jesus and not the organization. Not the Missouri Senate, not St. John Lutheran Church, not... You know, anything that sort of masquerades as the second person of the Holy Trinity who takes flesh and becomes one of us and gives himself in the sacrament. The only thing that needs to be protected is Jesus, and he doesn't need much. You heard it last week when he said to Peter, tend and keep, right? 
hey, do you love me? Do you love me? Isn't this so interesting? Do you love me? Like, so Jesus could say anything. He's about to ascend to heaven. He's met him several times. He could say anything. He could explain stuff. He could give him something new. No, what's the one thing that he says to Peter? Hey, do you love me? Follow me. Do you love me? Tend my sheep. Do you love me? Tend my lambs. Do you love I mean, Peter gets irritated with him because Jesus has a single thing to say. Well, here's the thing. That's all there is. There isn't anything else but loving other people. Even for Luther, the question was not about faith. The question was, does God love me? It was that simple. Was everything Luther did was animated. He tells us later when he writes his introduction to the New Testament, 1541 or 42, he says, this was the single thing that animated me. I thought that God hated me, so I hated him back. And when I read the, the Gospels and I read Romans and I discovered that righteousness was a gift from God and not a demand from God, basically, when I figured out that God loved me enough to make me righteous, he said, I was like a calf skipping through a field. There's only one thing. So in some sense, I, I feel like I say the same thing to you over and over again. On the other hand, when even you know in the congregation, we have people who don't talk to each other, don't respect each other, or aren't patient with each other, or when we aren't patient with you, or we don't do a good job for you, or pick something. You know, it's, not, it's a lesson that still needs to be learned over and over again. And I hope that's the lesson that will be learned. I mean, I hope that's the thing that you take with you. And frankly, it's the way you keep your other two pastors from not going someplace else. You love them so much, it's impossible for them to leave you, right? Because they love you back. And they're both geniuses. Those guys... I mean, you have hit the jackpot with those guys. They are fabulous. There's not another church that wouldn't pick them up today. If their option had come up, we hadn't de- tagged them as a franchise player and, you know, wanted cash and a player to be named later. So it does, it all works out for you, okay? So does that make sense? Now, I want to, what I want to try to do is I want to try to offer you that as what's happening in this very last icon. So this is, I am, in fact, uh, although Mrs. Heck bet that we would get through our... She bet money that we would get through the, through the outline today, but it's clear that she's lost, where there's no way we're going to get through, right? So, oh, was Mr. Hecht. For him, I might throw the race. Okay, so you're looking at, um, you know, and I gave it to you, I, not in Greek, but in English, so you can, you can read the icon, this notion of Jesus the teacher. Now, it's such a great kindness because Jesus, while he is, at least in this icon, he has the solemn face that's a little more characteristic in the East, so... As icons move to the east, they become a little more somber and a little more divine. As they move to the west, they become a little more warm and a little more human. Just kind of basic, just kind of basic um, emphases in theology, okay? So this one is a bit in between. But Jesus has certainly um, a solemn face. But this is one of the most common icons and one of the oldest. If you come to my office someday, I have a copy that was written in Egypt that I bought in Venice. Was, this, is what, this is a copy of a, it's not exactly like this, but Christ the Teacher is one of the oldest icons that's extant um, from Mount Sinai, uh, or, uh, yes, from, from Mount Sinai in, in Egypt um, as Jesus the Teacher, right? So there's this embrace, and you know there's a couple of ways that he loves you. Uh, one is that his hands are open towards you to bless you. And so with his um, fingers, he makes the first two letters of his name, the Kai and the Rho, Christos. So he's going to, this is the sermon today. He's physically 
He's physically taking his hand and touching you. So he's actually, when he does this, he's reaching out from the icon and he takes his name and he's putting it on you to bless you just the way you bless a child in their baptism, right? So he's physically saying to you, I love you and there's so much more to learn, right? And then, of course, usually you get some Greek abbreviations here, but I found you one that has the text written out. I am the light of the world. This is where we started with John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and The light came to the darkness, and the darkness did not receive him. He came to his people as people received him not. This is where we started the very first week, you know, 20 times ago, that Jesus is light and life, and he comes to us, and largely people reject him. But he doesn't turn the light off. He just keeps coming. And so always, you know, the one thing that Jesus, again, he could have said anything here. But what he wants to say to you is, bless you and say, I am the light of the world. He that follows me, I'm sorry, I don't have quite enough light. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Okay? And you have up at the top on the left, the abbreviation, it looks to you like IC with a little mark over it. That's Jesus. So when you read, if you read ancient manuscripts, I spent a summer once um, in a library reading ancient manuscripts. It probably wasn't the best use of a summer. But uh, I had to do it because I was going to go work in some archives in Germany. And what happens is people get tired of writing, so they just start to make abbreviations. And you have to figure out the hand, and you have to figure out all the abbreviations. Well, this is a very common abbreviation for Jesus. And then the next one on the right is Christ. So it tells you who it is, and then you notice in his nimbus, in his halo, right, it says, of course, you can see, I am. This is burning bush. Who, do, who, who are you? I am who I am. Or this is uh, in John 6 or 8, wherever it is, before Abraham was, John 6, before Abraham was, I am. And so Jesus tells people that he is, Yahweh, right? Yahweh in the flesh, the sacred name. So now just turn the page. And there is actually a text that goes with this. And these two interesting texts at the end of John's gospel. So John 20 and John 21. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. So I just want you to feel, feel the gentleness of John. And you remember that by the time John writes 1 John, he, be call, he becomes called the beloved disciple. So he was the disciple Beloved who was at Jesus' breast as they reclined for the Last Supper. And then also he is, you know, the great um, disciple of love. Beloved, let us love one another. Love is from God. And he who loves is born of God and knows him. He did not love God. He, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Right? This great sort of expression of if you have to say something about what you're going to do for other people, or what it means to be a Christian, it's all, it all boils down to love, right? And so it doesn't boil down to anger, and it doesn't, in fact, you know, perfect love casts out fear. It doesn't boil down to anger, and it doesn't boil down to fear. It boils down to loving people in all circumstances because you know that you are loved. It doesn't mean that you're standardless. It doesn't mean that you're complicit in sin. It doesn't mean that you're stupid. It doesn't mean that you won't differ on political strategies. It's tribe over virtue, remember? Or, you know, virtue over tribe. Tribe over virtue is the way things are going. For us, it's virtue over tribe. 
So the chief virtue is love, and everything else can be drawn out of that. So listen how gently he comes to you. He's been making the case that this is how Jesus meets people, and now he's met you. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, which should make you think then, hmm, the disciples have a lot to teach us. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now, believe means, you know, I mean, we live in wheat and it's hard. It's hard. Believe means thank you very much. I was thinking, I was trying to think of, it's, I was trying to think about how, you know, basically this is faith, where it's a very hot day and Jesus tosses you into a, into a cool pool, into a nice cool pool. Um, and and you, you, know, you come up from the water and you, you say, thank you very much, that's faith. Or you're the best, that's faith. Or you love me, that's faith. Unfaith climbs out of the pool and goes its own way. Right? You really have to have this notion of resurrection. You're dead, now you're alive, and the only proper response is thank you very much. That's what amen means. It means it's true, it's true for me, I love you, thank you very much. That's faith. So this isn't like some data dump from the 19th century. This isn't like uh, if you can assent to a lot of these principles where I can prove you into a lot of things. All this stuff is fascinating. I mean, this is so interesting how archaeology and the Bible fit together. And you, know, you learn a little history and learn about maps and how people loved each other. You read Eusebius about the history of the early church and who taught whom. And then suddenly you discover that Simeon is the second bishop of you know, Jerusalem, and he was also on the road to Emmaus because Cleopas was his uncle. That's fascinating stuff, right? It's just fun. It's rich. It's, it's like when you have a family meal today and you discover things that are beautiful and wonderful about relatives that you never knew. That's what this is like. It's not like this sort of raw, intellectual, you know, if you don't do this, you're stupid, and if you're stupid, you're, 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 you're outcast, and if you're outcast, we're angry at you. It's not any of that. It has much to do with being patient with people and telling them a lot of stories. I'm telling you a lot of stories right now. You know what? There's some other stories I could tell you too, but this probably should be enough. These are written so that you can agree with Jesus, that you can agree that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Son of God in the flesh, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And, of course, you have a reference both to heaven and to baptism there, that you have life in his name. In his name is a technical, biblical way of saying in Christ, which is a technical, biblical way of saying um, that you've been baptized and you believe. Right? So it all kind of swirls together. So Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written down for you, that you believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. It's not by force. For you, when you go out in the world, this is what Christians so often, and this is where politics got mixed up, and you know, we were king for 1,500 years, and it was swell, except we didn't handle it very well, and now we've blown ourselves up. So now what are we going to do? We probably go back and do it the way Jesus did, which is we'll tell some stories. These will be stories about love and acceptance. The stories don't work by force, and the stories are always on offer. When they don't work, you tell them again. So Polycarp, and they, they say, you know, we're going to kill you um, unless you renounce Jesus, right? And then he says, he's 86. This is, I couldn't, so he, they say, we're going to kill you unless you renounce Jesus. So what does he do? He tells the story again. 
I couldn't possibly renounce Jesus because he's never done anything evil to me. Right? He doesn't make this big defense about how it's against Roman law or he's an innocent man, blah, blah, blah. No, he tells the story again. I, I, I couldn't possibly renounce Jesus because he's never, he's never hurt me. Right? The people that you bump into, and it doesn't matter, you know, if they're rich and smart. It doesn't mean if they're angry and not so smart. It doesn't mean... It, it, what people need is to be loved. What people need is to be engaged. Your job is to put Jesus on offer. And the Holy Spirit does the balance. I believe I can't lead by my own reason or strength. Your job is to be kind to people and to love. And I just, I just want to say, you know... When this blows up next time, and, you know, there are storms, there are clouds on the horizon. I'm just trying to get out of here before it does. But when this blows up next time, you know, it's probably, if I was betting money, like say that I won the money from Hex and I wanted to go double or nothing, okay? If I was going to bet, I would bet that we'll blow ourselves up before somebody else will blow us up. As John Kleinig said, you know, as long as you have the morning Eucharist, you're going to be fine. It was the most amazing observation. And he just turned to me one morning after the Eucharist a few years ago, and he said, as long as you have this, St. John will be fine. Right? If we, if we are blown up, it's not going to probably be for us because something comes from the inside. It's going to be because we sort of get at each other, that we don't live with each other in love, that we're not kind with each other. It's interesting because the pastors always sort of, every week we sort of get together and talk about where the rumblings are in the congregation, right? We kind of feel them. And there's two things that we always say. One is, we're glad we've got these problems and not another set of problems. Because these are kind of normal problems where people kind of get under each other's skin or there's a misunderstanding or people get disappointed or, you know, people can get bumped and nudged back into place. So we, said, we always like to say... We're glad we got this set of problems, not another set of problems. There have been times we've had another set of problems. That's horrible. We have this set of problems. They're manageable, and we can recover from this. It can get better if, if people return to love. And this is true for all of us. You know, in our daily engagement with our, with our family, with our kids, with the people we know, we get it wrong. But we repent of that, and we return by way of love. I would just suggest that you, you know, kind of, I can kind of even when I walk through in the morning and I watch coffee being had and how things line up and who's talking to whom and where things are going, you can kind of, if you, if you spend enough time, you can kind of see in 30 seconds what's happening. And so I want to encourage you in the places where you've been open, especially to visitors and loving and kind and inclusive, I want you to be very careful in the places where, for example, you won't talk to somebody else or you're afraid of somebody else, or you really feel like you've got to really give somebody the business, right? Like probably two steps back from all of that is the way of love, and then probably another two steps back tomorrow. Because those are the sorts of things that after they build up over time, you know, right? The cure is here, and the cure is the same for you as it is for the people outside, that Jesus is on offer. And so it is the regular touch of baptism, the regular touch of the Holy Eucharist, the regular touch of um, Christ's word. It is the regular discipline of prayer and of giving. It is the regular discipline of mercy that when you bundle it all up, looks like an orbit around Christ and is a great witness to the world. And your job, and my job especially, is not to try to figure out what the end game is. 
The end game doesn't belong to you. Real time belongs to you. Right now belongs to you. Love in real time, that's what belongs to you. It's what we've read in every one of these stories. It's what we read in the last story, which Jesus says, Peter, he's putting him into the office. So, um, Peter, you'll be pastor, you'll be bishop. Peter, tend my sheep, right? Do you love me? Tend. Do you love me? Tend. Do you love me? Tend. Peter's hurt because it's too much. Like, what, you think I don't love? Apparently, the answer is yes, Jesus thinks his love isn't pure. And he would think that about me, and frankly, he thinks that about you as well. So, tend. Pay attention, right? You've had a lot of stories. And by the way, they're all written down. We can tell you some more stories. And you can read those stories in the history of the church. That's how the church works. It works by love. So, there are many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of these written down, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. What's the point of that? It's a bit of hyperbole, but what does it exactly mean? It means that Jesus was exercised constantly in every word and action with love. Right? So if you had to write down every place that Jesus loved, there's not enough, you know, there's not enough, like you can't get that much storage from Apple for $2.99 a month. You just can't, right? You've got to go to Google and store it for free. Right? So try to, try to remember that. And the rest, you know, sorry, Mr. Heck, you're, you've lost money again today. So, because uh, we've got to go to church. But um, I gave you in the very last sheet something I always try to give to pastors, <clears throat> which especially when they think that, you know, Jesus is a finger-wagon sort of sorter-outer guy, and especially that he's probably on their side, which is it all boils down very easily like this. Um, Jesus is the word incarnate I'm sorry, let's do it this way Jesus is the word eternal Jesus takes flesh, is born of Mary and becomes the word incarnate born of Mary, the word incarnate has a tongue and he speaks words and he speaks wonderful words I love you, I'll be your God, you be my children I'll give you my name, and I'll meet you here every Sunday, and I'll serve you. When you leave here, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Honor your parents one day a year, especially your mother. Be faithful to your spouse and be happy with what you've got. And I'll meet you back here again next week, and we'll do the whole thing again. That's the Christian life. If you say, thank you very much, I never had it so good, it's holy in the way of the gospel, and you're on the way to life and light. If you say, I will make my own way, you're following not Jesus, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, follow me. No, you're following Adam, and that takes you to another destination. So, anyway, that sort of makes the, yeah, I don't want to say challenge exactly, but at least the, the impetus as real as I can make it for you. You have great gifts and you have great abilities and you're very smart and you've been well taught and you're very disciplined and you're very accomplished and you know you go through life at a plane where most people can only aspire to. Kirby had to take an Uber home the other night from I've been thinking about this every day. Um, this um, driver this who said who came to our neighborhood which for us is kind of you know, normal neighborhood, especially for Wheaton. And the woman just said, it's so beautiful here, right? Just kind of a startling reminder of how good we have it. 
Right? It's so beautiful here. So the point is that you have to sort of keep going with that. You've been given this great gift, and you should always remember, as Jesus says, to whom much is given, much has been required. You can either take that as a threat or you can take that as a promise. The word speaks words. To whom much is given, that's all of you, much has been required. My suggestion to you is that you confess every day and try to lose the petty things that could build up over time and blow you apart. Right? This is the same for me, too. And that we instead you know, embrace these joyous virtues that will push us in the direction where we're more and more useful to Jesus, and especially in living out the story. It's best told when it's lived. Okay? All right, I love you all. Um, do your best. We'll come back in the fall and do something fun. But next week, come for information. Take a week off. Maybe Carol will even buy you donuts that week if the sun is shining. Who knows? And then come back the next week and vote on stuff, okay? All right, love you. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right, cheers, thanks. Happy Mother's Day.